Hi there. This is Sam Musgrave, pastor over college and young adult ministry at Trinity Community Church. This podcast is a collection of the sermons from our gatherings. My prayer is that you will grow in knowledge and love for King Jesus, or maybe come to faith in him for the very first time. Join me now for this sermon. Thank you, Christian and Richie. I love that last song. and I'm so grateful that his mercy is more than all our sin. Amen. Well, it's always an amazing joy to open the word with you all. And tonight we continue our journey through the first chapter of Titus. We've been in here a few weeks now, and we've got a couple more to go until we move on to chapter 2. And if you remember last week, we discussed the church's need for elders and their qualifications. We asked the question, who is qualified? to be a church leader. Or another way, what defines church leadership? Is it going to be our trendy, secular culture? Or is it going to be the truth? So I encourage you tonight, don't tune out. Do not tune out. You need this portion of scripture as much as I need this portion of scripture, as much as our church leaders, our elders need this portion of scripture. Because remember, all scripture is God breathed. So as we read this passage tonight in in Titus chapter one, elders... I want, I want you to have this in your mind. Elders must have these characteristics, but Christians, you should have them. I'm going to read starting for context, starting in verse five. In fact, would you guys please stand as we read the word tonight? Verse five, Titus one. For this reason, I left you in Crete that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Namely, if any man is beyond reproach, the husband of one wife having faithful children who are not accused of dissipation or rebellious. For the overseer must be beyond reproach as God's steward, not self-willed. Not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of dishonest gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, righteous, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to reprove those who contradict. Please be seated. So as a little review from last week, because we broke this up into a part one and part two series, because there was just so much here, I felt it would be to our benefit to do that. So part one last week, Titus 
was Paul's trusted child in the faith. He was left on crate intentionally to bring order to the churches. The term order in Greek, it's unique. It's, it's not used often. It suggests putting something that was crooked and putting it straight. That's the idea. It was a medical term for, for uh, setting a, a broken limb. The church wasn't in line with the truth. And Titus needed to get things straightened out. He had to bring order to the churches there, to what remains. And a key way to establish order, as we saw last week, is to establish qualified leadership. Churches need leadership. We need leadership in the church. It's a requirement in scripture for being a church. Listen, faithful church leadership produces faithful church members. I want you to remember that tonight. Faithful church leadership produces faithful church members. Elders, overseers serve as an example to the rest of the flock. They must be, as we read in the text, beyond reproach. They must be blameless. That's the term. And we divided this up into three categories, blameless in character. We saw that last week, blameless in conduct and blameless in conviction, character, conduct, and conviction. Now, we tackled that first category last week, a blameless in character, a, a person's proven worth, we said, a person's proven, proven worth, his character starts at home. It starts in the home. It's the man's first ministry. It is your first ministry. Who you are at home is who you really are for better or for worse. Now, I said it last week, how I love, how I serve, how I lead my family really reveals who Chad Blakian actually is. That's where my character is shown. And Paul's point is clear to Titus. If a man cannot shepherd his own home, he has zero business shepherding the church of God. It's, it's mandatory. That's how important it is. It's the first qualification. He must learn to shepherd his own home. He must learn to be faithful to his wife and shepherd his home. Which brings us to verse seven, where we left off last week. We read, for the overseer must be beyond reproach as God's steward. For the overseer. It's a different term than we see in verse 5. In verse 5, Paul says elder. And in here, Paul says in verse 7, overseer. So how are we to reconcile these? How do we make sense of this? Are we talking about the same person? Yes, and it's important. We see the terms actually used interchangeably in the New Testament. Elder and overseer. Elder is a title. Overseer is a function. Elder is a title, overseer is a function. Simple as that. Elder reveals a sense of maturity. The overseer reveals a sense of duty. 
Biblical church leadership, you guys, I found this to be encouraging. It's not some hierarchical thing, right? God's plan is simple. Under Christ, the great shepherd, there's a group of godly, mature men that oversee the local church by shepherding it. That's God's plan for the church. It's not very confusing. It's not that complicated. Under Christ, a group of godly, mature men who oversee the local church by shepherding it. And I got to ask, how grateful, how grateful are we for that? Right? There's not this sense of tiptoeing around, if you will, hoping to get an audience with a significant church leader. There's none of that. Our, Our church elders love and are happy to serve. They are happy to get lunch with you as long as it fits their schedule. They are happy to meet with you and to shepherd you. That's their job, to shepherd the church. And it's good. Now, last week, we we looked at this word right here in verse 5, and we spent some time on it. Um, excuse me, verse six, namely, if any man, if, and it was an important word. It's Paul's way of saying, if this is not true, he cannot shepherd God's church, plain and simple, end of conversation. And before we can even get a breath right here in verse seven, read this, for the overseer must be. In Acts 4.12, Peter says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. There's the word. There's the word, must be. There's no other way for a sinful man to be reconciled to the holy God. It must be God's way. And in the same exact way, there's no other option for the church leader. It must be as God prescribes it. It must be. Must be what? Beyond reproach. And again, we, you know it and I know it. When a term is repeated, that, that typically means what? It's, it's important. Right, It's important, and we saw this term last week, but I want us to get, dig a little bit deeper into it because I fear that we can easily misunderstand what it means to be beyond reproach. The term, as we saw last week, it, it means that there's no blatant sin in that person's life that disqualifies them. Nothing that's going to question their godliness. They, they are living in a blameless manner. There, 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 there's no one that, no, someone cannot look at them and say, I'm, I'm putting blame on you. He's a blameless man. You yourselves must be blameless. Scripture calls you to it. Scripture calls, God commands it. Live in such a way that so when people see you, rather than mocking you and mocking God, they look at your character, they look at your conduct, they look at your conviction, and they give glory to God. That's the idea. 1 John 1.8, we know it well. If we say we have no sin, 
we deceive ourselves, listen to that, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have no sin, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Look, the overseer is not sinless. And I want us to be clear on that. Blamelessness of beyond reproach does not mean sinless. Instead, it means that he is faithful to confess sin in the right manner and cling to the forgiveness of Christ when he does falter. Are you quick to confess sin? Be quick. Or, or, or does it go a little bit like this? I sinned again. I, I got to throw myself a pity party until I can manage enough guilt till I can come before God. Brother and sisters, I would encourage you lay hold of the gospel if that is your mindset. Hold it fast, know it, preach it to yourself, confess sin quickly because we can. Because right here, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins when we confess it. So it does not mean the elder blameless does not mean he is sinless. Simply put, the elder, the overseer is a model Christian. A model Christian. I just look at look at some of these qualities in verse seven and eight. Not quink tempered, not pugnacious, be hospitable, be self controlled. These are terms that, that are not they're not outlandish ideas. One one author said the qualities we are given for an overseer are remarkable for being unremarkable. Remarkable for being unremarkable. Look at there, in verses six to nine. We're not. It's not like. It's not like. What, what degree do you have? How many years of ministry experience? I mean, what, what family background? No, none of that. These are basic Christian qualities. In essence, a model Christian. This is what a Christian ought to look like. A normal, healthy follower of Christ. That's the elder. He is an example, we said earlier, to the flock. An example to you. And again, I want to say this. It's not moralism, right? We don't look at this list and be like, well, I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to do it. No, this is basic. This is Christianity 101. That's what it really is. Christianity 101. This is how it ought to be. This is why Paul says, by the way, in Philippians 3.17, Brothers, join in following my example and look for those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. If an, if an overseer cannot say that, he cannot be an overseer. He must be a model to the church member. Do you view your Trinity Community Church elders this way? Do you look at them 
and say, yes, I'm ultimately following Christ, but, but they model Christ and I am going to follow them. I'm going to follow them as they follow Christ. I'll never forget, I once heard this, this I heard in a sermon once, and, and, the, and, 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 the, and the man preaching the sermon said, the best sermon you will ever hear comes from the pulpit of your home church, assuming it's a sound church. Don't get me wrong, I love listening to John MacArthur and John Piper. But the best sermon you'll ever hear comes from your local church. Because this is why it's coming from a pastor who knows his flock that God has placed under him. He, a man who is modeling Christ to his flock, to you, who knows the needs of the church. And he knows how to communicate God's word to the flock that God has placed under his care. He, in a word, is God's steward, as we see in verse 7. He's not the master of the house, but God has placed him in charge of the house. It's the difference between a manager and an owner. Several times in the Bible, we read that Christians, that we are stewards, that you are stewards. In Deuteronomy 16, 17, we read that God is the one that gives you wealth. So you must honor God with your wealth. In Ephesians 5, 15, we read that your days are numbered. So therefore you must be wise today how you are living because you don't know tomorrow. In 1 Peter 4.10, God tells us that he has gifted each Christian with spiritual gifts. So therefore, we must, you must serve the church with your spiritual gifts. 2 Corinthians 4.7, God says that he's entrusted each one of us with the treasure of the gospel. So you must be sharing the gospel and bearing witness to him wherever you're at, your jobs your school, you are a steward of God. Are you acting like it? Now the overseer, in addition to these things, is a steward of God's church. We read in Acts 20 that the Holy Spirit has made him a steward. The Holy Spirit has done it. The church is God's church. The children are his children, but the overseer must manage it until that great shepherd returns. And on that day, we read in 1 Corinthians 4, 2, it will be required of stewards to be found faithful. They will give an account to God. Now, blameless in conduct, we've already addressed again, blameless in character. We said it starts in the home. By God's grace, the overseer must be sexually pure. He must be faithful and able to lead his home in a manner that honors God. He must steward his home. First Timothy 3, 5, but if a man does not know how to lead his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? Jesus says, if you are faithful over a little, I'll give you much. That's the idea. But Paul moves from the overseer's character to his conduct and then to his convictions. And, and it got me in thinking, why this order? Why character, conduct, conviction? Why not conviction, uh, conduct, character? Like, why that order? I mean, in my mind, why not start with the man's biblical conviction? Because that's going to determine how he lives, right? Right? 
In, in a sense, yes, but, but listen, how you live reveals what you believe. How you live reveals what you believe. That's Paul's point here. If you, look guys, if you don't look and love and serve like Jesus, brother and sister, you have poor theology. If I don't love and look and serve like Jesus, my theology's wrong. Because our theology ought to drive us to look like Christ. Martin Luther said, the heathen cannot see what we believe, but they can see our works. They can hear our doctrine and then they can be converted. Paul starts with character and conduct because that is what the flock is going to see. We keep seeing it in this book. I've mentioned it several times, knowing God and living godly. It needs to be both. They're inseparable. Healthy fruit proves a healthy tree. And so are we living, are you living today in a manner that proves your doctrine? Because that's where Paul starts. Go home and ask those closest to you, family and friends. Does your life prove your doctrine? So Paul gives 11 qualities, and we're going to do our best to fly through these, um, that mark the overseer's conduct. Five negative and six positive. So remember, model Christianity. Keep asking ourselves, does this describe us? Does this describe you? The first term, right here, verse 7, not self-willed. The term means you only care about your will being done. There's no interest in the opinion of others. The self-willed man, get this, is a self-pleaser. The self-willed man is a self-pleaser. He is only content when he is pleased. It points us back to Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve were self-willed people because the fruit of the tree was more pleasing to them than the will of God. Instead of submitting to him, they would rather determine for themselves what was good. Dear friends, that right there is the epitome of sin. To be self-willed is really the epitome of sin. It's saying, I don't want the will of God. I want my will. So in what ways are you more interested in pleasing yourself than submitting to God? That's the question. We, we pray it every Sunday morning. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, what? Oh, well, I was quiet, you guys. Thy will be done. Not mine. Thy will be done. First and foremost, when it comes to the conduct of the overseer, he must not be, what, self-willed. He must be God-willed. And it really, everything else falls under that term. Everything else falls under this term. Look at this next term. Again, we're going to do our best to go through these quick. Not quick-tempered. Here's a man who wants to control everything, but realizes he has zero control over his own emotions and his own tongue. His fuse is persistently short. Anger is constantly boiling under the surface of his heart. And it takes only one small situation to set him off. 
Brothers and sisters, remember James 1.20. Know this, beloved brothers, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. How do you... Let me put it this way. The way you respond to tense situations says a lot. Does it reveal who really is master of your life? Remember that, that, that what comes out of the mouth, Jesus says, reveals what's in the heart. Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to all and able to teach and patient when wronged. We aren't talking about someone who never gets angry. We recognize we're sinful. In fact, we recognize that there are situations when anger is the right response. But we are talking about someone who can steward his emotion. Steward his emotion. Commit this to memory tonight. It's a short verse and I encourage you to do it. I can't command it. Maybe I can. Memorize this. Psalm 141.3, write it down. Set a guard. Set a guard, O Yahweh, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. The third term in the list simply marks another godly characteristic, not addicted to wine. As a model Christian, it's not that complicated. The overseer can't be drunk. He can't be drunk. He, look at alcohol, not inherently sinful. We recognize that whatsoever. It's not inherently sinful, but it is something we ought to be very wise about, Scripture says. We, we, we keep coming back to this question again and again and again. Who is our master? Romans 6, 16. He says this, Paul says, do you not know that when you go on presenting yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. The drunken man presents himself as a slave to alcohol. He obeys it as if it is his master. He is shackled to it. Listen, the one who is truly mastered by God will master his flesh. The one who is truly mastered by God will master his flesh. This fourth term, pugnacious, flows just right out of this, naturally. It refers to a man who is given over to violence, a violent man. Those that being violent and, and, and being drunk, they, they can often go hand in hand. And it's so sad we see that. Um, but, but we are called not to be violent. And the term, yes, it might sound strange. Look, of course, we're not going to be violent. We're not going to be throwing fists in church. But believe it or not, in ancient times, that's how you handle things. But I want you just to mark... Matthew chapter 26, Peter, 
Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? Paul's point is that the man of God, the overseer, he must not be like Peter was in that moment. The kingdom of God is not taken by violence. The pulpit, the church has no need for angry, drunk, and violent men. And finally, this term, not fond of dishonest gain. Dishonest gain, it describes one who does not care how he makes money as long as he makes the money. His God is money. The overseer must not be a man who worships money. Simple as that. Jesus says you can't serve two masters. So Paul goes now to what we must be. Those are the things we must not be. But the Christian life is both putting off and putting on. It's both killing the flesh and putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so first, he must be, what is the word, hospitable. Verse 8, hospitable. And the term stands in absolute contrast, by the way, to dishonest gain. See, rather than shamefully earning money, the man is eager to share what he has. Remember, he's only God's steward. He's not the ultimate owner. The man is eager to share what he has. Are you willing to share with what, what you have with others? First Peter 4, 9 says, Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Listen, God commands you to be hospitable right there hospitable oftentimes in 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 ancient ancient times christians were on the run just simply due to persecution and the like and we find in the small little letter of third john it's a little little a little guy something we can jump over sometimes but third john john commends gaius the the one he is writing to and he says he commends him because of his faithfulness in welcoming the christian brothers into his home and showing them hospitality listen those who regularly attend i'm talking directly to you how welcoming are you to the new people that walk in these doors Is it your aim? Are they an afterthought or is it your aim? Is it your focus? Are you going to, did you come tonight thinking if there's a new person, I am going to greet them with a warm smile and say welcome and get to know them and be hospitable to them. The second quality is that he must be a lover of good, a lover of good. Paul says, look it, we don't need men who busy themselves with the filth of the world. That's it. Uh, They ought to be those who set their minds and love what is good and pure, what is found in the word of God. You must set your mind there. 
Listen to how the psalmist puts it. Psalm 119, 68, speaking to the Lord, you are good and you do good. Teach me your statutes. To be a lover of good is to love what God loves. That's the focus of the man's life. And so it makes sense when Paul says, thirdly, he must be sensible. It makes absolute sense because he he can't just love what is good. His mind must be fixed there. It must be set on what is good and pure. Look at um, Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is dignified, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, If there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, consider these things. Set your mind there. Pretty soon in chapter 2, we're going to get to when Paul directly addresses the men and the women. And both men and women are commanded to be sensible. And I look forward to getting there because I'm gonna di- I want to dive into that. What does sensibility look like in the Christian life? The final terms here that Paul gives, righteous, holy, and self-controlled. They really summarize the overseer. Overall, this man orders his life You must order your life according to the word of God. Psalm 11, 7 says, For Yahweh is righteous and he loves righteousness. The upright will behold his face. See, like Christ before him, he makes it a habit to do what is right, and he loves to do his Father's will. He doesn't just love the good. He doesn't just fix his mind there. He actually goes out and does it. He is set apart from the world around him. He is holy. That's the word. Can it be said of us that we are holy, that we look more like this book describes, like Christ our Savior, than the world around us? Are we living blamelessly? There's the question again. And finally, we read, he is self-controlled. And I'm not going to give the, uh, there, there's so much weight here, but I'm just going to briefly say it. Guys, the, the overseer is not self-willed like we read in the beginning, but he is self-controlled. Look at those bookends. That's not by random. He's not self-willed. He's not the master of his destiny. He's not the master of his life, but he is self-controlled. He's not the master of himself, God is, but he does master himself. That is his flesh. We would do well to take heed to that, to those two bookends to all of it, but I want you to listen to that. Which one are you? Self-willed or self-controlled? Finally, this last verse, 
blameless in conviction. It brings us here and we read that we read this holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to reprove those who contradict. I want you, if you will, to imagine, and you maybe have heard this analogy before, but I'm going to use it again. Imagine you're on an airplane and unfortunately, you find out the plane's going down. I know, sad turn of events. Who's seen the show Masters of the Air, by the way? The new one out by uh, uh, the same people that did Band of Brothers. It's a phenomenal show. If you watch it, it's amazing. It's about the U.S. Air Force. And it's fascinating to watch those men and the airplanes they got in. Um, the B-17 bombers, it's historical. It's, it's really well done show so far. Anyways, I, I, was, I was watching it the other night, and I was, it, it, it struck me when the airplane, you know, when an airplane's getting shot down and the guys are in it, and they jump out in parachutes, right? So imagine this. You're, you're, you're in an airplane, and the pilot says it's going down. And he says, the only way you're going to survive, and you will survive, is if you hold on to this parachute. Now, my guess is you are going to grab that parachute, and you are going to hold it as hard and as close and as fast as you can. That's the picture we have here. That's the picture of the overseer. He holds the word of God. He clings to the word of God. It's a matter of life and death to him. Everything he believes, everything he does and says, he's governed by it. And if and when the culture gets so angry and fed up that it puts him in prison for it, he says this, Second Timothy 2, I endure hardship even to the chains as a criminal, but the word of God has not been chained. The gospel, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation and he will cling to that. Those are the kind of men that the church needs leading it. And praise God, those are the kind of men that lead Trinity Community Church. I urge you this week. And, and I actually, I asked the question last week in the small groups. Go show your thankfulness to your elders. Maybe it's a text. Maybe it's a simple handshake, a, a verbal thank you. But go thank them. Go thank them. And finally, we're just going to briefly address this last bit because we're going to look at it more uh, uh, next week, Lord willing. But the overseer doesn't just hold fast the word for no reason. He's not just some like ivory tower Christian. He's not one who just, and what I mean by that, you, you don't, he doesn't just study theology all day long and hold fast the Bible to no reason. No, he does something with it. He does something with it. And, and it makes me think, are we doing something with our theology? Does it drive us? Are we filling our minds with so much doctrine? Are we holding fast the Bibles so much and filling our minds with truth, but we're not actually physically going out and doing something? Look, the elder says here is to exhort and reprove, to encourage and to correct, to both feed the sheep and to ward off the wolves. Crate was filled with false teachings that needed correction. And again, next week, we're going to get right into that. Reproving uh, uh, incorrect and false theology in verse 10 and following. Crate was filled with it. 
Titus had to be ready. The church leader had to be ready and prepared. He had to be a man of conviction on the word of God. That's it. But more on that next Tuesday. So as we draw our two-week study to a close, I want us to walk with just a couple brief applications. First, be thankful. Be thankful for those who lead this church. Realize that these men are called to, to labor and endure for the bride of Christ. Not for selfish gain, as we just read, but because they love Christ and they love you, his bride. Second, pray for them. Pray for them. Ask God to give them wisdom, to give them grace and strength to shepherd the church, to shepherd this church. Pray that each of these qualities that we read tonight would be formed in them. That they would strive for blamelessness. Third, follow their example of blamelessness. These qualities, you must have them. And they they, they are an example of them. Follow them. Do these Christ-like, here we go. Do these Christ-like qualities mark your life tonight? I want you to seriously think about that. And does work still need to be done? Absolutely. Absolutely. And you and I and in every elder, the same. Work still needs to be done, which, which, which drives us to our final point. Brothers and sisters, look to your Savior. Look to Christ. Rest in his gospel. Know the finished work of Christ, that it's, it's been applied to you. You are, listen, you are a new creation. I want you to consider that. You are a new creation in him. The God who, as we read in the beginning of Titus, the God who cannot lie, verse one, no, two, verse two, the God who cannot lie promised that he will one day present you blameless before Christ. Think of that. One day, as you're striving here and now for blameless, blamelessness, one day he, the God who cannot lie, will present you as blameless. That's our hope. That's, that's our hope. Sam talked about this week in our, on Sunday, groaning for heaven, groaning for glory. Our hope is there. Our hope is one day to be with Christ and to see him as he is. It's, it's, it's not dependent. Listen to this. As you read this list tonight, it's not dependent on your ability. And I want you to take comfort in that. It's not dependent on your ability. And that's not what I want you to get from this. This isn't moralism. It's dependent on his sovereign grace who promised he will do it in you. Amen. Hebrews 13, I'm going to close with this benediction. We read it in our Sunday mornings so often. Verse 20, now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will. He's doing it, not you. He's equipping you 
working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Father, we come now reading the high calling of the overseer and the elder, reading that they are examples to us. They are modeling what Christians ought to be. And we cry out to you, Lord, help us. First, Lord, we ask that you would, you would aid them as they lead this church, that you would give them wisdom and grace. And we ask God for us, us that, that even now in our weakness, that you would cause these, these qualities to be formed in us. Not, not just for us to check off the list, but because we love Christ. Oh Lord, help us. Help us to look to him, to be encouraged that one day, one day he will present us blameless. And until that day, he promised by his spirit to keep us and to hold us fast. Oh Lord, thank you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining me for this sermon from the Trinity College and Young Adult Ministry. We would love for you to join us in person soon. For up-to-date information, follow our Instagram at trinityc.ya. For information regarding Trinity Community Church, visit trinitycc.com. Until he returns, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you.